Hey, welcome to this month's episode of The Staff Briefing. It's been a while since one of these has been released, and it's been a full summer for events. We've had two graduations, two weeks of D3, and a bunch of planning for stuff going on this fall. So now that everyone is back on campus and we have officially started the new semesters, it feels good and right to be back in the swing of things. And I'm really excited about this episode. It's been a little longer than usual or longer than I wanted it to be uh, between episodes, but I'm super pumped about the featured conversation this month. I'll talk about that uh, in just a few minutes. But right now, let's get into recognition. I sent out an assignment to each of you, I think last week, asking you to send in one of two things, either a specific recognition of someone who went above and beyond the call of duty while working, or a major personal or group win in event productions or event tech. A couple of you called in to share your thoughts. Uh, let's hear what you all had to say. Hey, I just want to recognize Isaiah Small. Um, he has quietly but faithfully and consistently worked in the backgrounds extra shifts and has constantly sought to grow in his mixing ability. Uh, he sought practice on our practice board in the record room to get better at it so he can better serve his church. Um, so I just want to recognize him. Uh, he's uh, just a faithful steward of his time here and uh, what we've given him the ability to do. And he's taking it and running with it and getting better at it uh, every day, really. So um, he's a solid employee. And we love them, and we're grateful for them. And so, yeah, good job, man. Okay, so I've already recorded this twice, and I didn't realize we only had a minute. So I would like to recognize Evan Jarms. And Evan, just so you know, I tried to say a lot more about you, but it kept cutting me off. Um, I just want to recognize him because I think he's doing an incredible job. He has just gone above and beyond in taking care of his clients and getting to meet them and make them feel comfortable and confident about their events. And I've just been really impressed by his professionality and how quickly he's caught on to everything. And in particular, yesterday I was in admissions and Katie, who he works with, um, said, hey, I just want you to know how amazing Evan has been. He's doing an incredible job. He's been so helpful. He has just been like absolute best. And I want everyone to know how amazing he is. So Evan, if you're just hearing this, you're amazing. And I want the rest of the office to know also. All right. Thank you to Isaiah and Evan. Thank you guys for going above and beyond and setting the bar for the rest of us that are working. And thank you to both Bethany and Drew for calling in and giving recognition. So we're going to take a few minutes to briefly update you on news and upcoming events. September is a really busy month because it's Fall Festival Month. And more importantly, this week is Fall Festival Week. So thank you to each of you who are working really around the clock to make this event work. It takes a strong group of people who strive for excellence to pull off an event like this. It is hard work. But there really is nothing better than seeing the students and families enjoying their time together at this event. I'm excited for you all to be a part of it uh, on Friday. If you're listening to this 
before Fall Festival, I want to invite you to join me in praying for this event. And here are here are three specific things that I'm praying for, uh, uh, and I just ask you to consider joining me in praying for these things. So the first thing is staff. As I mentioned, it takes a lot of moving parts working perfectly to pull off an event of this size. So be praying for energy, for wisdom, and for focus for our entire team of staff and for volunteers. The second thing you'd be praying for is motivation. Be praying that we'll keep a heart of Christ-like service as the motivation for each of our interactions, whether that's students, uh, guests that are coming onto campus, or some of the workers that we have from these third-party companies like Astro Jump or Murray Brothers. Um, let's be looking for opportunities to serve and show Christ to these people. And then the third thing that you can be praying for is the guests that are coming. Be praying that the families and the students who are here, that they would be built up and that community would be enhanced on our campus and that really rich, lifelong memories would be made that reflect the rich blessings that we have in Christ. So that's what I'm praying for as we lead in the next couple of days. Uh, Please join me in praying for those things as well. So we also have several new additions to the events team. In event technology, we have four new part-time event technicians that have been hired over the summer. First one is Michael Spendenson. We have Purvis Pereira, Patrick McPherson, and Landon McBride. Uh, And then over in event productions, they've hired a part-time internal coordinator, Evan Jarms, uh, part-time event planner, Micah Kendi, part-time host, Madison Jenkins, and part-time host, Sean Collins. If you haven't taken the time to introduce yourself to one of these new members of our team, I encourage you to do that. Okay, so moving on to the featured conversation, and I'm really, really excited about this. I wanted to try out something new for the staff briefing going forward, and it's kind of an experiment, so we'll see how it goes. For a lot of us, we're in the beginning stages of our career, and maybe this is one of the first professional jobs that you've had. When I started my first major job, I was connected with a coach that helped teach me important things for getting off to a good start in my position. This coach helped me think about the right things at the right time. This coupled with having connections with people who've walked through a lot of the same things that I was experiencing in the first 90 days of my job, it helped me adjust and get caught up to speed quicker than I think if I was trying to figure it out on my own. And so I kind of wanted to combine these two things into the featured conversation portion of the staff briefing. The guest we have on this month's staff briefing is Trey Brunson. Trey is the pastor of communications at Southeast Christian Church, and he has been a really good friend for many years. While he wasn't my coach uh, when I started my job, he was a wealth of knowledge on leadership, being hospitable, and staying organized. Trey loves Jesus, and it's so evident in his communication. I can't wait for you to be encouraged by our conversation. So before we jump in, I want to kind of sketch out what the future of staff briefings will look like. Each briefing will contain a featured guest 
who will talk about the things that they wish they knew coming into their first job and kind of what principles have guided them most consistently over the years. But in addition to answering these questions and talking about them, they'll also be left with one final question. And that question is, who has impacted their leadership the most? The catch is, whoever they mention in their answer, I'm also asking that they reach out and recommend them for the podcast. So I'm pretty excited to see where it goes. Like I said, it's an experiment. We'll see what happens. Um, But without me wasting any more time, here is my conversation with Trey Brunson. So, Trey, thanks for for being here today. Tell us who you are and a little bit about your current role and what you're doing. Uh, I am currently the Director of Communications at Southeast Christian Church. But let me let me go back a little bit. So started at First Baptist Dallas, went on staff at First Baptist Jacksonville, and did all of like the behind the scenes business stuff, budgets for a couple years, planning on launching campuses, those kinds of things. When I left First Baptist Jacksonville, I was the executive pastor of Community Life, which was counseling, conferences, hospitality, those kinds of things. I was the executive pastor of missions, and I was a teaching pastor. Uh, I left and planted a church in Burbank, California left there and moved here to Louisville to serve uh, Crossings as the Director of Development. So when this job came up at Southeast, um, I don't have a communications background. Like I don't, I'm not a designer, a videographer, or web guy. I'm, I'm a pastor. They needed someone to come in who would care for this team of 25 to 30 who um, kind of, I, I think were on the outside of ministry and felt that way. Um, there's a history there. They wanted a pastor specifically, so I always caveat, I'm a pastor who's operating as a director of communications. So so you haven't always worked in the field of communications. You've been a pastor. You've planted a church. Yeah. You've done development. What was your very first job? Yeah. Yeah, I love when you sent me this. You said, what was your first real job, which implies <laughs> that all of the things I did before were not real. And, and when I you know, I sat down and thought, because I, I sold Christmas trees, fireworks. Yeah. I worked for a company that designed restaurants in college. I think the first real job I would say I had was that job at First Baptist Dallas okay. where I worked for the executive pastor. Okay. So it was my job to support him. And there were so many things that happened in that year that I was there. We reorganized the staff. I mean, I, I never, I mean, I went through an undergrad. I never had anyone talk to me about organizational architecture, organizational structure even organizational management. How does information need to flow? How are people cared for and managed? I got to watch all of that. They did a $48 million building campaign. I got to see all of that. So, I mean, it was a fascinating year of working with him, for him. Um, There were pastoral moments. When I look back, I see the Lord was preparing me for those things. But there were also some serious, like, organizational leadership lessons and moments that came out of that time. Hmm. So I gave you six things uh, to come up with. The first three things were, what are three principles that you didn't know walking into your first job that you wish that you would have? So one of the ones I think I told you was you're not a leader because you have a title. You're a leader because people follow you. I watched Mike Miller, who was the executive pastor at First Baptist Dallas, my first job when he did a staff reorg. When you tell people that they don't have their job anymore, but they can apply for another job. 
there was a specific example where um, one staff member was very negative about this. I mean, I, I thought there would be a, an actual fight, not, not an argument, but a legitimate fists, guns, knives. I mean, I remember sitting in the office and Mike was on the phone with this guy and said, you can bring a gun if you want to, you can bring a knife. I'm coming to the street and we're going to settle this. And that's where, like, I mean, there's a learning, like, there's a terrifying moment for one yeah. as an employee at a church, but two, <laughs> I remember thinking in that moment, like, nobody is following him. He's not leading, he's dictating. There were people who did not want to follow him, even though he was functionally, hmm. positionally, organizationally, even maybe biblical authority, an authority figure over them. Um, I, I've seen this in other places. Like it, it, it was something I, I had to walk through coming on at Southeast. There are, there are 25 to 30 people who report to me. It has taken time to show a lot of those people I care. Like I'm not just here to maximize production, get work done. Uh, I'm not here to side with ministries or leadership or you. I'm here to develop you and care for you and help you grow into what God has for you here. You lead when people follow you, not because you're given a title of director or pastor or, or administrator or wh whatever that position may be. You lead by people following you. That's the Maxwell thing, that leadership is influence. How are you influencing these people? How are you inspiring these people? That is such a crucial thing, and nobody told me that. I just assume, like, you get a position and the people underneath you follow you. Hmm. Not the case. So if someone is listening to this and this is resonating with them, and they're saying, I want to be the kind of person that people want to follow, what kind of practical advice would you give to them to be the kind of person that people want to follow? Yeah. Um, well, the obvious is care for people. I mean, it's it's... Again, I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor, so I default to ministry as people. If you don't care for people, they won't want to follow you. And we all know those people who just rattle off orders, but they don't care about us. You've been there. We've all been there. Like, you want a leader who cares about you. You want a leader who believes in you. You want a believer who sees something in you. I, I took a screenshot of something. My dad um, has said this a ton of times to me, and I wanted to get it right, so I asked him to text it to me. Um, he always has said there are five things he knows about everyone when he walks into any room to preach or speak. So the first thing I know is that everyone wants to be loved and accepted. There's a part of your brain that subconsciously measures how you're being received. It's called belonging cues. Everybody wants to be loved and accepted. Everyone. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter where you are. The second thing is everyone wants significance. Everyone wants their life to count. And that's not just like the people in the pews. It's also the people that report to you in any organization. They want to know that what they're doing matters. The third thing is everyone is afraid of death. There isn't a single person who's alive who isn't afraid of death in some capacity. Now, it may be varying degrees of that, but we all know there is an end, and some of us, it haunts us a lot more than others, but it is a deal for all of us. The fourth thing, everyone is guilty. Everyone feels guilt. Like, it, it may be off the charts, again, for more people. Uh, maybe, maybe they've done something, but everyone struggles with guilt. And the fifth thing is everyone has a deep hurt that they deal with regularly. It impacts them and points back to the number one thing everybody wants to be loved. We wonder, will I ever love or be loved again? Mm -hmm. Like, that's every person everywhere. I would add a sixth to that. And this is in a professional setting, not in a pastoral setting. 
everyone wants to win. And I think this is the hardest thing is that there are times that we don't know at work how to win. What, what, what am I doing at the end of the day that's helping the organization that is the right thing to be doing that, that leads us to advancing the kingdom, that leads us to um, profits, margin lines being adjusted, whatever that is, everyone wants to win. And I feel like you most most organizations set you up to, you got to figure it out. It's, it shouldn't be that way. It is the job of a manager, a leader, to help people know that they're cared for, to help people know that what they're doing is significant, to help people know that they can win. And honestly, I feel like if you are a caring leader, you will deal with those fears of guilt and shame that people have by helping them see you're actually really doing well at this, or here's how you could get better at it. So the first thing is, you're not a leader because you have a title. You're a leader because people follow you. Yes. Second thing. Yeah, numbers don't lie. There's always the full story. I remember when I got to First Baptist Jacksonville, um, there there were a lot of like comments about a specific church that people were leaving and going to this specific church. And so what I did was I just started taking all of the bulletins. And the bulletins used to have, the Wednesday night ones used to have in the back, people who lettered out and where they went. And so I started tracking all of that for about six months. How many people were leaving? Where were they going? And was there some story to gather from this? Well, the first thing is most of those people were not going to the church they thought they were. It was, it was just an assumption, kind of a rumor, kind of a fear-based thing. The flip side is no one was taking into account the number of people who were coming in. And honestly, in church, we can focus either on the number of people who come in or we tend to focus on the number of people who are leaving. You have to focus on the whole story. We should be reaching people and they should be coming in. But at the same time, if you have people who are leaving, that's not always a bad thing. It is a good and a God-honoring thing. This is Exodus, or Exodus this is Acts chapter 20. We want Paul going to Jerusalem. We want the Ephesian elders leading on their own. Like you want people leaving your organization in a healthy way You've got to see the whole picture. And if you're, if, if you're not careful on this, you will make numbers tell a story that they might not be telling. Hmm. You will believe in numbers that aren't really there. Um, I, I think about uh, Story City. We, we, because we were a church plant, we were dominated. We had to report our numbers. And so you're, you're dominated by the number of people who are in the room. But here's the thing. If I give out ice cream, I can get 50 more people in the room. Is that winning? Is that the right thing? Is that God honoring? No, not at all. Like if people just showed up because we gave out ice cream, that was not what we were there for. What were the number of people being discipled? What were the number of people moving in faith? Whether that is I'm getting answers to questions I have about the Bible, Jesus, God. Um, you've got to track the right things. We can be all over the place and what we're actually looking at. And you've got to do the real work of figuring out what's, what am I here for? What do I need to be looking at right now? What do I need to be responsible for? So let me take this in two ways. There's a book, and I, I cannot remember the guy's name who wrote it, but it's called Shadow Mission. And one of the things he talks about in there is how in ministry, in, in nonprofits, there are things that look like they're important, but they're not our real mission. And we put a ton of time and energy towards them only to realize, realize we've yeah. wasted it. That's why he calls them shadows. There's no substance to it. 
We do that an awful lot because we're not measuring what matters. We're not asking probing questions. It is not a bad thing as an, as an employee, as a subordinate, as someone who's not in a leadership position to ask in a non-critical way. What am I supposed to be measuring? Is this the right thing? Should we be looking at this another way? The greatest innovations come by asking probing questions. Every organization has to grow and shift and change, hmm. even a church. We've got to make sure that we're not focused on is our organ, you know, uh, operating perfectly. That's a shadow mission. Maybe we need to be thinking more about where are the people who are in the neighborhood around our church. Second side of that, and this is where you and I are very closely aligned. I have to manage my time every day to accomplish the things that God has called me to do. If I don't plan it, if I don't have a goal that's driving it, if I'm not clarifying that goal even, what are you going to do? Where, where is your time going? Organizations do this. They just keep acting and they don't have a clear goal that they're moving towards. Churches do this. Seminaries do this. Um, um, departments in seminaries. Mm. You just keep functioning without clear direction, clear goals. I want to be here in one year. It is not, uh, and I know where I'm at, Southern Seminary, it is not wrong to be pragmatic. It is wrong to allow pragmatism to be the idol in our operating, but we should be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Mm. Like we should be operating as wise stewards. There are, there are parables and passages in the Gospels where Jesus says things that come across as scandalous to, to some of us because they are very focused on every minute matters. We have an end times ethic. We are on a down clock. What you do here has eternal significance connected to it. I want to measure every moment. I have so many hours with my kids before they're gone. I can't squander them. I can't just, I can't just hope that things go well. I have so many hours with my employees. I cannot squander them. I have so many hours in the day with the Lord. Now, again, their 24 hours are yes. His, but, but for my devotional time, I can't just sit in my office and read my Bible all day long. I have to be purposed and disciplined in that. And this has been the thing. It goes all the way back. Mike Miller taught me how to time block. So I have a, a spreadsheet that is a week, and I block things in. I block time for emails, time for specific meetings, time for nothing, for me just to catch up on whatever has gotten away. I time block each week. I also use the full focus planner. I use it because it's the system that works for me. Everyone needs a system for how you do what you've been called to do. And if you don't have a system, you are asking for chaos. I've talked for an awful long time. This is great. I love okay. it. All right. You're I'm saying, very passionate about this, yeah. so I don't want to ruin your podcast. No. So the first thing was you're not a leader because you have a title. You're a yes. leader because you follow people. Yeah. The second thing is numbers don't lie, yeah. but they aren't always the full story. Yeah. So the third thing mm -hmm. is yeah. people want to grow and be cared for by their leaders, not just paid by them and managed. Okay. So I want to jump in before you even say anything else and share a thought and ask a question. So we have a group of people in event productions and event technology that are in a reading group called Leadership Cohort. We meet once a month and we read a book and then get together and, and talk about it. Yeah. Uh, so we just read this book called Excellence Wins by Horst Schultz, who was one of the founders of the Ritz-Carlton. Wow. And he spends a whole section of the book talking about the difference between leaders and managers. Mm -hmm. And he distinguishes 
the two positions in this way. He says that managers push, leaders inspire. Mm. If you're trying to distinguish between pushing someone and inspiring them, it can be hard. Um, but I think I think Horst Schultz hits it on the head. It's not just telling your team to do this. Yeah. That's managing. Yeah. It's helping them understand why it's important and how it benefits them. Um, and not just them, the rest of the team, the company, organization, or yeah. whatever. So my question is, when you say growing and caring for others, does that go beyond this principle of helping them understand the why? Um, and if so, what does, that, what does that look like? Yeah. Um, let me first say, I, I've not read that book, but I, I feel like there are times when we want to create uh, a line that might not need to be created or where we are looking for something to make it the bad part and something to be the good part. Management's not bad. And actually, management is uh, a stewardship. That is a God-given responsibility to all of us, that you manage your time, you manage your money, you manage your relationships. Like, maybe we're in an era right now where we would we're in a leadership deficit, so leadership becomes more important than management. But management is vital. Like I, I don't I want to use the most bold language I can on this. You cannot be successful in any organization, church or for profit, without management. Management exists for a reason, and it's not bad to be a manager. I think the problem is, is that a lot of us have felt like we've been managed and not cared for, which is why I put this down here. Like you can go get paid money anywhere. You can go get managed anywhere where you feel like you are doing what God has created you to do is when you feel not just uh, like you're paid well, but you feel like you are cared for and you can create and you can speak into things. I finished a book a couple weeks ago called Lost Connections it's by a guy named Johan Hari, H-A-R-I. And it's a study on what is depression? Where does depression really come from? And so he looks at like the three sources of depression. And this is what's crazy. I feel like I'm, I'm a biblical counseling major here. Biblical counseling people should be using this book more because it blows holes in what science has told us for years about depression. Hmm. He, he goes back to all of these studies and he showed in this one study, there was a, a British office where there was a staggering number of suicides by employees. And what they found was that it was the lack of an ability to impact what they were actually doing, to speak into anything. They were just giving things to do. They were being managed in an inappropriate management way. And it led to a loss of life, actually loss of life, suicide, right? Hmm. We all want to feel like what we're doing matters and that we can impact and influence things. And if you don't feel like you have a voice, that you cannot speak into things, you cannot change things, then, then you will not thrive in that job. You will, you, you will get embittered at your leadership. You will get embittered at the organization. Again, doesn't matter if it's a church or nonprofit. So as a leader, I want my people to know you can always bring suggestions to me. You can always bring problems to me. You can always bring venting things to me. I will listen. I will help filter. I will make sure that you know what you need to know. Uh, I'm not hiding cards anywhere. I think that there's a there's a weird line that's been developed somehow. So being open, being available, and allowing people to feel like I'm not just punching a clock here. I'm actually doing something that matters. Mm. 
It can be really hard. It's a leader's job to set that up. It's also an employee's job to ask for those things. I'll tell you as a leader, there are times I don't know when my people are hurting. I'm just not aware. Something has happened, has been brought to me. We fall in this dangerous place of making assumptions in workplace a lot. Assumptions that people don't want our opinion, assumptions that people know things. Mm. This is where it's crucial to talk well, communicate well. Yeah, that's great. All right, so moving from what you wish you knew before walking into your first job, the second set of questions is what three principles or ideas have served you the most consistently over the years? Maybe this is an even easier question to answer. Yeah. yeah. Well, we talked about measure what matters. That was yeah. the first one I sent you. And yeah. honestly, like a, that, that is true in any organization. You've got to know what are we measuring? Where, how are we winning? But it is a personal thing too. Like you have to manage your time and, if you don't have a system, you're allowing the tyranny of the urgent, to quote Jim Collins, to drive you. Don't be that person. You, you will you will live with chaos and you will create chaos for other people. So I'm not going to spend too much time on this since I've already talked about yeah. a lot of this. You need to have a system, whatever it is. I love that story and I wish I could remember all the details, but I think it was like uh, Ford brought a guy in to talk to his staff about uh, productivity. Mm-hmm. And he said, if you will sit me down with each of your directors, five minutes with each of them, I will change the productivity of this entire plant. And Ford said, how are you going to do that? And he said, well, let me do it. And you know what? You pay me a year from now based off of if you think it helped or not. So he sat down with each of the directors. Uh, I think it was Ford. It could have been another motor company. It was a motor company. And he told them, get a, get a piece of paper out and get a pen out. Write down the three things you have to do today. What are the three things you have to do today, and if they don't get done, things fall apart? So they would write down the three things and say, okay, which one do you have to do first? Prioritize them. So they prioritized one, two, three, and said, okay, get after it. A year later, they cut this guy a check for $25,000, which I think is like the equivalent <laughs> of $250,000 or who knows, whatever it is today. Yeah. But it was an astronomical number back then because it dramatically changed the environment and the production of that automobile plant and the whole thing was like if you don't have a a goal for the time that you have today like I sit down every morning when I get into my office with a post-it note and I write down here are the things I have to do today sometimes it's five sometimes it's six things I write down where what is my schedule for that day and then I look back at my time block can I fit all of this in and I prioritize when do I need to get these things done and what do I need to do from there it is a system for me. You and I both use Michael Hyatt, so like we're thinking on the weekend before the week, what are my big three? What are the three yeah. things that I have to accomplish next week? And we're tracking those things every day, which helps. But even underneath that, there are things you got to do. Like I know on Mondays, I have a production meeting. I know I have a communications leadership meeting. Yeah. I know I have a weekend planning meeting. Like I know what my schedule roughly looks like. I don't allow things to pop up and derail me. I create flexible space for things to fit in, but I try and have a goal for my day and I try to accomplish it. So you've talked about planning your week and planning your day, Um, but measuring what matters is more than just like time management. So how, what's another application of this and how might it flush out in the day to day? Yeah. So, I mean, a couple of things. One, um, I have goals for the year. And I, I think I think it's important to think bigger. Like most of us, uh, what, what's the quote? We 
overestimate what we can do in a week and we are in a year and we underestimate what we can do in a decade yeah. right mm-hmm. apply that to your life I think it's probably a lot smaller than that we overestimate what we can do in a day and we underestimate what we can do in a year this is why there's diet pills and all of that stuff like if you built a healthy discipline in your life of eating right yeah. you know some type of exercise into it you will be healthier at the end of a year than if you tried to take pills for a week yeah it's wisdom. And, and I think that some of this just, we need to be more wise. So I have goals. And so let me break them down. Some of them are professional. Like I, I want to grow as a leader at Southeast. It is where God has me right now. And so I break that down into each week. How will I grow as a leader this week? So it is I want to grow as a believer. Um, so like I sat down and I made a list of here's how I want to read this year. I want one professional book a month. I want one book from an author or two that I'm trying to read everything that they wrote a month. Uh, I want one devotional a month. I want one book on a spiritual discipline a month. And then I want something that's fun, something that I would never read unless I was just sitting in a hammock at the beach. What would that be? So I scheduled out an entire year of reading. Now, it has shifted because like a new book will come out or something will get recommended and I'll push something to next year in order to get that in. But I scheduled all of that out. I I, I got, you know, and I nerd out on like organization stuff, but I fill out a full focus planner every quarter. I put all of this in there. I schedule it in my reminders in my iPhone. Um, I have a, a monthly chart that has a ch- what I'm supposed to be reading in that day. My seminary work for that month is is charted on there, usually a week ahead because something will happen. Yeah. Give yourself space for grace so that if I have to push something back, I can't. I try and schedule it. I try and measure it because it matters to me. It matters that my family knows that I love them. It matters that my employees know I care for them. It matters that work knows I care about what I do. I'm not just getting a check from this. It matters to me that I'm growing. I only have so many years until I die. I want to enjoy them and I want them to be used for the glory of God. That's the way I approach this. Okay, we've kind of merged into leaders or readers a little bit here. Um, So... Measure what matters, Mm -hmm. leaders or readers, Mm -hmm. what's the third and final thing? I choose to do the right thing, not the easy thing. Uh, And this is a painful one because it costs you something. There's there's always an easy road as a leader, as, as a manager, even as a staff employee member. There's always an easy road to take, but there's a consequence for taking the easy road. And... It is hard to do the hard things, but my dad always told me, if anything is worth doing, it's worth doing right the first time. And I wish I could say I was better at this, but I am growing in this, and you have to grow in this, and every day will be an opportunity to grow in this. Do the right thing, not the easy thing. What advice would you give to someone listening that struggles with choosing the right and the difficult thing versus the wrong thing that feels easier. So I think Paul would tell you to count the cost, first of all. Like, cutting corners always comes with a cost. Um, I had a roommate in college who got really stressed out. He was just busy, right? Like, he had a full-time job. I I think he was, like, coaching a, a sports league at a high school or something on the side. And instead of writing a paper, he paid someone to write it for him. And he got caught doing that. So um, 
the cost was significant. I mean, it really hurt him. And here he was thinking, I'm just saving a step. I'm, 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 I'm just trying to help. There's a cost that comes with doing the easy thing. And you don't know what that is. That's what's scary is you don't know when you cut a corner. Like I look at parents who cut corners with their kids. Like, oh, I can spend time with them later. I'm hearing cats in the cradle in my head right now. <laughs> it comes at a cost. And that cost may be so great that it, it, it ruins your life. Um, doing the right thing may take you longer. And it may be difficult. Like going to someone and saying, we need to talk about this in person. Going to someone and saying, like, we need to, we need to address this. I had to do this earlier. I need to ask you to forgive me because I, 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 wrong, I was wrong. I sinned against you. Um, I don't remember who, who I just listened to, but they were saying, like, you need to use the word sin when you sin against someone. Hmm. Um, it, I did a wrong thing. Unintentionally, the right thing in that moment to do is to go and make it right. Dude, I, you know, I'm sweating. I think I'm going to cry. I think I might throw up, you know, in that moment. It's hard. But you know what? That relationship is preserved. This person knows that I care about them, and this was not done uh, maliciously. Mm. Do the right thing. Go to someone in that situation. Work hard on something. You won't regret doing the right thing, and that's what's hard is you will regret doing the easy thing. You have to, you have to see that. This is Proverbs. This is Solomon pleading with his son be wise, to do the wise thing, to not do the foolish thing. There is a reason why he takes an entire, God gives us an entire book in the Bible about wisdom is because every day is filled with decisions and opportunities. And if you don't operate out of wisdom, it comes at a cost. And I love the people that I work with enough to plead with them mm. like Solomon did with his son. I love my children enough to plead with them like Solomon did with his son. We have to apply this in our own lives. It is always, there's always going to be an easy way out. Don't be that person. It will define your life in a way you don't want it to. We are the culmination of grace and the decisions that we make. And there is grace, but there's also consequences for the decisions that we make, Hmm. positive or negative. Hmm. You said that people want to grow and be cared for by their leaders. Who's someone that's been influential in modeling this being... um, cared for by a leader with your own development yeah so i mean i I have a couple of people that come to mind jeff dalrymple jeff dalrymple is one of the most empowering leaders i've ever had Hmm. always believed in me always resourced me always let me know he cared for me even when there were moments of like i probably did the wrong thing in this situation he never let me feel like i failed he always turned it into a, an educating opportunity. I remember sitting in my car one time after meeting him saying, hey, this is where you probably should be or we shouldn't talk about this thing in front of these people. He was very tender in his leadership in that way, which makes it easy to feel like you can grow. Sometimes it feels hard to grow. I don't want to fail. You can work in an environment where it's a bad thing to fail. Yeah. He was not that kind of a leader. Hmm. And he helped. I learned so much. I mean, there are so many little things like um, the value of experience, the importance of an experience. All of that in my mind comes directly from Jeff's <laughs> leadership and care. There are fewer people in my life who have been more encouraging as a leader than Jeff Dalrymple. So if you have a chance to get him on here to speak to everybody, they will drastically benefit from whatever he has to say. So great. Well, Trey, thank you again so much Anytime. for being here today. and. Look forward to maybe doing this again. 
Absolutely, man. All right. All right. So I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Trey Brunson. I would love to hear your feedback on the staff briefing, things you think could be tweaked, made better. Um, So feel free to reach out. Please send me an email, send me a text, call me, whatever it is, uh, and let me know uh, your thoughts. Thank you all for listening. We will see you at the next staff briefing. (laughs) 